0: So last night, um, the the lesson was, who is Jesus? Yeah. All right, and uh, today, uh, we're going to have two lessons. One is, will the real Jesus please stand up? All right, and then uh, the lesson this afternoon, or later this morning, actually, will be uh, four portraits, one Jesus, Mm. plus one. one. All right, so... Uh, Really, this second lesson is more like about who Jesus isn't. And I'd rather spend time talking about who Jesus is, honestly, than talking about who he isn't. But, you know, every time you say who he isn't, you're sort of saying who he is at the same time. Hmm. Kind of. All right, got that? And there's a lot of different views about Jesus, that's for sure. All right? Uh, And really, you know, like Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. By the way, I want to thank you all for coming out here. I mean, you know, Saturdays, we're busy. we got stuff to do. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, it's not quite as much of a sacrifice as Jesus going on the cross. No, not quite. But (laughs) honestly, you know, um, a lot of people obviously aren't here that could have been here. So I I just want to honor you all being here. There you go, you all again, being here. All right, so uh, so what we're going to do then is we're going to identify some false ideas about Jesus throughout history and then ones that are uh, today. Uh, and then I'm going to attempt at the end to kind of describe the real Jesus very briefly. And then the, the next lesson will be going into detail about the, the, the real Jesus, the Jesus of Mark, the Jesus of Matthew, Luke, John, et cetera. All right, so uh, here we go. Um, uh, there's lots of different Jesuses out there. Uh, I like the one in the lower uh, right-hand corner there, the, 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 the <laughs> cosmic... Jesus, the Hindu the Jesus, there. Oh, yeah. All right, so these we're going to look at eleven different Jesus's. Wow. Did we decide how you spell Jesus's? <laughs> I, I think it's J E S U S apostrophe. Yeah, I, agree with that. I think. No wait. The plural of house is H O U S E S, but that's because house has an e at the end of it. Hmm. Okay, anyway, whatever, right? So we're going to look at the created Jesus. We're going to look at the Jesus who was actually not a person. The Mormon Jesus. The Hindu Buddhist Jesus. The Calvinist Jesus. The black Jesus. Oops, might step on some toes there. Just possibly, I don't know. Uh, the, the liberal Jesus. The universalist Jesus, the nice guy Jesus, who never says anything bad about anybody. The prosperity Jesus, the magical Jesus, and then the crucified Savior and Son of God. That's the real one. Okay, now, uh, normally when I'm doing a lesson, I do not like to name names. In other words, you could listen to a hundred lessons that I've taught, and I will not name another group uh, to criticize them. So you know, oh, the Baptists and the and the Lutherans and stuff like that. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna make an exception this morning because of the nature of the material. All right, and, and, but even when I do that, I hope I hope that I will do it in as respectful a way as I can. But generally, my uh, my desire is to build up the truth rather than to attack people I don't agree with. That's why normally I don't mention other denominations or other religions. Or, and when if I do, I try to do it in a way to say actually maybe possibly good things about them. Uh, all right, but so today I am going to make an exception. In fact, one of the Jesus is is just is just the Mormon Jesus. Okay. Uh, so um, so just sort of a note of warning, if you will, that I'm going to call some groups out. No. All right. Well, By the way, uh, the first uh, seven on that list, I believe, are not false Jesus is that we in the International Church of Christ tend to struggle with all that much. That's mostly out there. But the last three or four, uh, yeah, this, I think we struggle with those. Mm. So when so when I get to those, I, I'll be talking primarily actually about us. Okay, good. So, the, the created Jesus. I right, and uh, this is the Jesus of the Jehovah Witness, you all know about Jehovah Witness. It's the Jesus, uh, uh, historically, the first well-known proponent of this view of Jesus, which is that he was created, he is not God, he is a creation of God, was a guy named Arius. He was from Alexandria, and he created a movement that became known as Arianism. In fact, you might have heard of the Council of Nicaea, the First Church Council in 325 A.D. and the Council of Nicaea was called to deal with this guy and his movement. <coughs> and uh, Athanasius was another bishop there in Alexandria. And Athanasius and uh, and Arius they were kind of going at it a little bit. Uh, and and the, the 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 statement of Arius was there was a time when he was not. Mm-hmm. All right, and and. Um, So this is the Jesus who is way below the Father. A Jesus who's probably a little bit above us, but way below the Father. This is the Jesus who was some kind of exalted angel. That was the Jesus of Arius. And interestingly, if you study the history of Arianism... Uh, the, the Goths, you know the Goths and the Visigoths, that, that kind of they became Arian and it came this close to Arianism becoming the dominant political uh, view of Christianity in the Roman Empire, which is kind of it's kind of scary to think about what that would have happened. Now, of course, we would have still had the Bible so we could have recovered real Christianity but that, that's an interesting thing. Now, the, the most common The group out there that goes for this is the Jehovah's Witness. However, there there have been brothers even in the L.A. church that I've had to interact with over the years who bought this idea that Jesus was created he wasn't God. Mm. Uh, um, I've had multiple discussions with different people who had that perspective. Mm. Yes, within our own fellowship. Mm. Now, um, here's a quote from the Watchtower Society. If you know anything about Jehovah's Witness... Everything they say, do, believe, teach, and everything else, it all comes straight out of the Watchtower Society. They said, Jesus is not God. So at least they're honest about it. You know, they're straightforward, you know. By the way, I just said that, but don't quote me, all right? Please, don't quote me on that, because he actually is. But Jesus is not God. Jesus is the first and highest of created beings. He's an angel. He's the archangel Michael. Michael, the great prince, is none other than Jesus Christ himself, quoted from the Watchtower Society uh, just uh, a few years ago. (laughs) All right? Now, why is this a problem? I mean, does it really matter? As long as Jesus died on the cross, isn't that good enough? Well, actually, no. No. uh, We have to understand Jesus for who he actually is. And uh, last night, we read a couple of passages, so I don't need to go over those. Most of you are probably here, uh, where Jesus said in John 8, uh, Very truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, I yeah. am.
1: Yeah,
0: and when he said, I and the Father are one, the people interpreted that as him saying that he was God. He said, the reason we're stoning you is because you claim to be God. And Jesus didn't say, no, 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 no. Because <laughs> Jesus claimed to be God. Let's read Colossians 1.16. Let's go. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this Jesus just because this Jesus, although I'm telling you within our fellowship I've had multiple people who bought into this thing and uh, the reason this happens is because they start asking to to logically analyze the Bible. And, and, And in fact, the history of Arianism comes from people who are trying to ask how do we explain the Trinity? And the answer is, you don't. <laughs> and so, uh, historically, if you study church history, you'll find whenever people try to sort of come up with a logical definition that could explain to outsiders that how this whole thing works—Father, Son, Spirit—those people always get in trouble. So let's learn the lesson of history and just say it says it in the Bible. That's good enough for me. Yeah. Right. That's probably as you know. Sometimes people are just too <laughs> smart. For their own good. Colossians 1:16. Okay? Again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because probably if you're here, you don't need to be convinced. But it says here, for in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Now, if all things were created through him and for him, what does that mean about him? That he was not created. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to analyze this passage. Well, how do you explain that Jesus was with God and he was God? I don't explain it, I say it. Because Jesus said it. And Jesus walked on water and was raised from the dead. And, and, and I'm going to get a little bit because I'm going to talk about the Jesus is not a person. I'll talk a little bit about sort of the apologetics, if you will, of, of the Trinity. Uh, John 20, 28, where Thomas says to Jesus, My Lord and my God. And he bows down to him. Now, uh, there's an angel getting bowed down to in Revelation. There's several places in the Bible where somebody bowed down to somebody. And I believe it's Acts 13. And in every case, that person or angel says, stop, don't do that. But Thomas says to Jesus, my Lord and my God, and Jesus accepts that statement. Mm -hmm. Titus 2.13, he's talking about Jesus, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, and about 25 or 30 other passages that show without any possible doubt that Jesus is in fact deity. In him, the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. All right, the next Jesus. Feel free to stop me, by the way. We'll do a Q&A at the end, but this is a small enough group. To have... Yes, go ahead. I was going to say uh, really briefly because I know you want to move on. But what, were, what are some of the reasons why they claim that Jesus was just a human or that he was? All right, so is it, is it why, Christ why, Christ? why did they say he was human? Uh, again, there are different possible reasons that could happen. Uh, for example, there might be some people who don't want to have a God and so they want everything to be, you know, because they want to be God but that's not the case in Arius. Arius was a very sincere believer and so, so the answer is where did, how did he end up there? He ended up there because he was trying to make the concept of Jesus be logical. He was trying to make it explainable and especially in terms that made understand to make sense to Greek philosophers. Because in Greek philosophy, God was a very distant God. Many levels and emanations and avatars separating us from this very, very distant, uh, non, uh, non-passionate, dispassionate God. And Jesus didn't fit that model. So for them, for Jesus to be God, would overthrow everything they understood about God from the beginning. Now it's not like Arius was trying to completely go into the Platonic Greek Thinking, but he was influenced by that, and he was trying to make a Jesus that was more uh, palatable to Greek philosophy, mm. and trying to make it logical. Uh, but that—that's probably not why uh, the, the Jehovah's Witnesses go for this. Uh, you have to talk about uh, uh, Russell, and and the, you know he came from the Adventist movement and, and Adventism and and some of that stuff, and trying to pull the Old Testament in. So, the, the, uh, Jesus is not God, Jesus is a created person uh, uh, for uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses. It's partly a matter of logic. It, 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 what you'll find is if you try to interact with, with Jehovah's Witnesses, they all want to have intellectual arguments, and it has nothing to do with the whole. I used to think Mormons and Jehovah's Witness were two versions of the same thing, and they're the exact opposite. They're the total, utter opposite. Because in, in Jehovah's Witnesses, it's all up here. Yes. And in Mormonism, it's all down here. Mm-hmm. And it, you can't, it, you know, trying to defend Mormonism intellectually, it's like, good luck with that. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to win a logical debate with Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm-hmm. It, it just is. So don't do it. And don't try. Yeah. Is this an outcropping of the Gnostics? Um, no. Um, in the case of Arius, there might be see, Gnosticism was a huge thing in the in the second century into the early third century. Uh, was Arius affected by Gnosticism? I, I'd say the, the 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 connection is rather indirect. I would say just generic Greek philosophical thinking led to Gnosticism, led to Arianism. All right, but uh, but the Gnostics didn't doubt that Jesus was God. They didn't, they didn't doubt that. They mm-hmm. doubted he was human. Exactly. So you could argue Gnosticism is the opposite of Arianism. Mm-hmm. Okay, got it? Yeah. What, what is a good way to respond uh, without um, offending somebody and without sounding like you, do, you don't know, have an answer, but when they
1: ask about the Trinity, what's a good way to respond? To
0: that? Um, I, I would say, I would, first of all, I would simply uh, read mm-hmm. John 1 and say, this is the Jesus that we worship. And uh, I, I would just w- want them to meet Jesus. Just have them read the book of John. And, and understand, uh, again, I was going to defend the apologetics of Trinity in discussion of this next Jesus, which is the Jesus who's not a person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, but I'll just do it now instead. Okay. <laughs> See, it's, it's about Love. It's about the fact that God, uh, what, what is more fundamental to who God is than a relational being? And God is relational even in and of his, himself, never mind. And who cares if it's logical? It's about love, it's about relationship. God is relational, that's, that's why we exist. God, Father, Son, and Spirit wasn't enough. He, he wanted more. Robert, you're going to make a comment. Yeah, I was just going to say, and don't use their Bible. <laughs> Yeah, oh. right. They're the only ones that you yeah, can if you go to of. my website, there's a whole, there's a fairly long article on Jehovah's Witness, and what I'll do is I'll pull out the 15 or 20 verses that they've blatantly mistranslated. Uh, yeah. Uh, by the way, I believe actually you could, you you actually could if you if you were so bold, you could actually use the New World Translation and still, you know, because it's so obvious, hmm. but it's true. Uh, so they say that the beginning was the word the word was with God the word was God and they also do it in Colossians one sixteen. every single passage that's so obviously uh, points to that they, they just made their own translation and, and gave a version of it, which is not supported by... Anyway, but then we're, we're already getting to the point where I feel like I'm... Not that there's a Jehovah's Witness here, but I feel like I'm arguing with them even now. You know? <laughs> we're, doing good, we're doing a good job, bro. I don't want to do that. Okay, uh, Jesus number two. The Jesus who is not a person. Now, what do you mean if... When you say Jesus not a person, obviously he's a person He taught he The Jesus who's not a, 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 a separately definable entity within the we say Godhead Godhead what's that Godhead I mean that's a weird word within the Trinity the, the reason I, I the reason a lot of people even myself don't like to use the word Trinity I, I, I kind of hesitate because the word's not in the Bible right. and Trinity comes with some baggage some Roman Catholic baggage that I'm not yeah. super super comfortable with a guy named Tertullian invented the word it was a Latin word actually not a Greek word and you know It's as good as any, you know, it's kind of, sort of, correct. But anyway, uh, so this is the Jesus who is basically just a different disguise. So you go to a costume party, and you could go to a costume party as Batman, as Superman, or as whatever. I'm not a superhero type guy, okay? And so God appears sometimes as Father, sometimes He appears as Son, Sometimes he appears as spirit, and it just kind of depends on the circumstance, which aspect of himself he appears as. And, you know, you could even find verses in the Bible which, if you took them out of context, this almost could seem consistent with that if you took it out of context. Uh, But don't ask me for an example because I can't think of one right now. Uh, This is historically called modalism. All right. Who cares about that word? It's also called Sabellianism. Aren't you glad I'm giving you these big words?
1: That <laughs> about
0: this guy Sabellius in the uh, third century was the chief proponent of this idea that there's oh, there's only one God. And what does the Old Testament say? Here, O is Israel: The Lord our God is one God. Okay, and, and again, where did Sabellianism slash modalism slash Jesus is not a separate person come, come from? It came from the same place that Arianism came from which is people try to explain all this stuff, alright and again uh, history tells us when you try to, rather than just experience who God is and accept what the Bible says, if you try to explain it to people, uh, you, you tend to get in a little bit of trouble so, so the idea is that God can appear as like Father, if that's needed, if you're in trouble, He's mad at you. He can appear like Son, if He wants to sort of relate to you and kind of be like you and have sort of a human quality to. could be like Spirit, if He wants to kind of have a communication or, or inspire the Scriptures or something like that. And these are different modes of God. So Belianism is the belief that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three different modes or aspects And the idea of Trinity simply is not real at all. By the way, these people do not deny that Jesus is God. They're just saying Jesus is the Father. Oh, and he's the Holy Spirit. All right, and so there's the, you know, there's different, people try to come up with analogies to explain the Holy Spirit. And by the way, none of them work. All right, all the analogies of the Trinity either are modalism or arianism none of them are right so just bag the whole analogies for the trinity mm. the reason it's hard to come up with a good analogy for the trinity is that the analogy is logical mm. and trinity is not not really so the, the one of the famous one is you know it's like ice you know there's you know there's there's liquid water there's steam and there's ice and they're all three, you know, there's d- different things. But that's modalism.
1: Yeah.
0: That's It's not like water and and ice and uh, steam are, are three different things. They're the same thing. They're just different states of that. Uh, another drawing for modalism is God, you know, sometimes he's the spirit, sometimes he's the father, sometimes he's the son. Now, why am I even bothering to mention this one? Because... It's not like modalism is this huge, massive thing going on, All right? uh, but actually, believe it or not, there are religious groups that do teach modalism. You might have heard of the Unitarian Church. Yeah. Yeah. So why do they call themselves the Unitarian Church? Because they believe in modalism, mm-hmm. that there's only one God and they completely deny the Trinity. It just happens that my brother and actually two of my brothers and my sister are Unitarians. Like, oh, interesting discussions go on there. I don't know. But they're not, whatever, I'm not going to go there. Also, a a lot of Pentecostals, I don't know if you knew this, but a lot of Pentecostals, they call themselves Oneness Pentecostals. Interesting. And honestly, um, it it just happens most of the one, these Pentecostals happen to be African American. Not all, but most of them are. All right? And again, if you have a discussion with these people, they'll talk about how it's not logical. Every discussion I've ever had, uh, remember, I've mentioned, I mentioned that I've had more than one situation with brothers in our fellowship who went into Arianism. And every discussion with them, they, they try to act as if they're using the scriptures, but every single time, it really comes down to, to them saying it's not logical. That, that is, that's the bottom line. In any person defending either Sabellianism, modalism, or universal, uh, uh, Unitarianism, or this idea that Jesus is not God, in the end, actually all their arguments come down to the fact that your view is not logical. Okay, and I go, busted, got me on that one. But that's what Jesus thought, You know, you know what I, people say, well, do you believe in the Trinity? My response to that is, I don't know, but one thing I know, Jesus is God, Mm -hmm. okay? Mm And uh, do you believe in, you know, that there's three different persons? Isn't that tritheism? No. Here it is, the Lord your God is, the Lord is one God. But Jesus talked to the Father, and he wasn't talking to himself, okay and again to me the apologetics of the trinity is relationship that's what it's always been about so if there's the united pentecostal church the pentecostal assemblies of the world and there are millions in the u.s alone and tens of millions of oneness uh pentecostals around around the, the world now is somebody who believes that jesus is not god going to go to heaven I mean, God can do whatever he wants, but that's not a saved person. That is not a saved person. Hmm. Could somebody who's confused about the Trinity, that, that there's three separate persons in the Godhead, go to heaven? I'll just leave that one in God's hands. I don't I, know. I don't know. I, I, don't know. I, I just I don't see a scripture which says you have to understand this concept of three persons. And one thing I know is David probably didn't have the concept of three persons. In God, I'm pretty sure about that, okay? And I'm pretty sure David's going to make it. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think Moses saw Father, Son, and Spirit. If he had it, it, was if anything, it was a vague concept. So I'm not saying it's okay, but I'm saying, uh, who knows? I, I, you know, I'll let God sort that one out at the end, okay? Parable of the tares, which we'll is let God sort this stuff out. But one thing I know is, this idea is definitely not biblical. Mm-hmm. By the way, the way you know you're dealing with a oneness Pentecostal is, they hate Matthew 20, 18-20. They, <laughs> they will not baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that's your guarantee clue. If they say, Jesus only baptism, you found a modalist. Mm-hmm. And you can tell them they're a modalist, and no, they'll, I'm a what? They probably won't know what that is. And, you know, I, you know, I don't know whether you need to, you know, I need to convince them to switch over, the, you know, in the next 10 minutes or they're going to go to hell. But I think you might have it up for them, okay? Because why in the world would Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen through 20 be there unless you baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? The way I like to think about it, some people say you have to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you weren't baptized in the name of all three, you're going to hell. Another person says, you have to baptize in the name of Jesus. Unless you're baptized in the name of Jesus alone, you're going to hell. Aren't you glad that God has both in there? No. You know? Like, yeah. you know, you guys, yeah. cut it out. Because yeah. <laughs> you'd be baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Or you'd just be baptized, just get baptized. <laughs> as long as you understood what's going on, I, you know, we, we don't have to say a formula. We all say a formula, right? Everybody does. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. That's awesome. But you don't have to. That's true. Now, I would say, however, I'll tell you right now. When I do baptisms, I, we do Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's yeah. just what I do. I mean, come on. Let's read that passage as if we needed to, right? Isn't this kind of like... In the, the mainline church, is Acts 2.38. That's their only scripture, you know. For us, our only scripture is Matthew 28 and 3.20. But it's right here, it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples... Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of, of Jesus and teaching them. Oh no, <laughs> the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> got One it? version. Uh, another, uh, a Trinitarian formula, if you will. And there are a number of what what scholars call Trinitarian formulas. What that means is a number of verses where clearly Paul or somebody else is saying it on purpose mm-hmm. in order to make it clear. That's why they call them Trinitarian formulas. Uh, I'll just look at one of them. There's others. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. This is another Trinitarian formula. Were you are ready to go there, somebody just say yes. That's one of your favorites. All right, so 2 Corinthians, right after 1 Corinthians. <laughs> this Bible has such thin pages. Yeah. It's like... Okay. Uh, And again, this is a trinitarian formula. What I mean by that is, Paul's almost certainly saying this on purpose so as to make it clear what he's talking about. Okay, 13 verse 14, here we go. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Okay? And didn't Jesus say, I and the Father are one? There you go, that's modalism. No, it's not, Okay? The Mormon Jesus, number three. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. Uh, I hesitate to do it because it's so abhorrent. But there's a brother who goes to our church in Bakersfield who started studying with the Mormons. It's like, what's wrong with that guy? What? What? I mean, I'm willing to give the hand of fellowship to a Lutheran or a Presbyterian or a Baptist or a Catholic, Orthodox... Now I'm not judging. Yes, they are. No, they're not saved. But I'm saying we. we, At least we believe in the same Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Jehovah's Witness. I don't know. And Mormons. No, it makes me puke. Excuse me. I'm supposed to. You know, I'm supposed to treat you like a Christian. No, I mean I'll treat you like what you are. You know which wow. is not a Christian, <laughs> you know. Come on, John. So this is the, interestingly, this is the Jesus who is a person, yet who is God. So this is not a modalist. This is not an Arian. But the problem is, Jesus is God, and but you and I are too, so we're all kind of in this together. We're kind of at the same level. So this is the the sort of polytheistic there's three different gods. Not only are there three different gods, there's like whole bunches of them, whole packs of them. Joseph Smith declared, I will preach on the plurality of gods. At least he's honest about it. By the way, you will not find any of this in the Book of Mormon. If you read the Book of Mormon, there's surprisingly little blatant false doctrine in the Book of Mormon. I mean, if you've read it. Now, it's occasionally really boring, and it's like, Grade B, at best, you know, historical fantasy and a bunch of nonsense. But you might be surprised. Because in the Book of Mormon, they baptize people after repentance in the name of Jesus Christ. And they do it before Jesus was born. That's interesting. But, you know, at least they're doing that. So almost all the crazy, wacko theology is not in the Book of Mormon. It's in the Pearl of Great Price and the Doctrine and Covenants. But anyway, uh, I've got a book on Mormonism back there if you want to read it. So anyway, let's just read this, these two quotes, be disgusted by them, and move on to the fourth Jesus. I will preach on the plurality of gods. I've always declared God to be a distinct personage. Jesus Christ, a separate and distinct personage from God, the Father, and the Holy Ghost, who was a distinct personage. So here he's got tritheism blatantly. I'm going to stop right there. It's, it's hard to read it. Now let me try to read the next section and see if I can get through it. Joseph Smith preaches perhaps his most famous sermon. This, this was in uh, 1844. God himself was once as we are now and is an exalted man. and sits. In, I'm going to stop right there. Okay? We're done. Yeah. Next, Jesus. Amen. <laughs> All right? The Hindu Buddhist Jesus. I'm telling you, this has influenced us in subtle ways. I'm talking about this has influenced us, especially in California, the state that they say is of fruits and nuts and flakes. You know what I'm saying? The younger
1: people they don't know that. Yeah.
0: I mean, California is not believe anything, and California is the world capital of New Age. This is the New Age Jesus. Mm. All right. This is the Jesus who's like a guru. He's a sage. He's a wise man. He's a God-man. Like an emanation or an avatar. This is the Jesus of, uh, you know, there were many religions in the Near East around the time of Christ who had this sort of God-man myth. Isis and Osiris and and Mithra. (laughs) So, this is the pantheism. Pantheism is the idea that God pervades and exudes and is coextensive with the universe. This is the God who cannot have created the universe because this is the God who is defined by the universe. This is the God of Hinduism and Buddhism. This is the Jesus of Eastern, Christi- Eastern uh, Christianity, right? Eastern religion. So, uh, basically, this has Jesus being like a westernized Krishna. You know, Krishna, Krishna, Hare Krishna. <laughs> yes. This is the Jesus who is one of many great religious figures who show us what God is like, but and they show us a wise path, but he's not God any more than you are God. This is the Jesus of yoga. Yoga. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: this is the Jesus of yoga couldn't you find a different exercise modality than yoga those of you who do yoga what do they have you do they have you find God inside of yourself but there's a problem he's not there well the Holy Spirit but that's a whole other thing All right, this is the new age Jesus this is the Jesus you find by going to your center. And there's this whole centeredness movement in the schools nowadays. Wow. It's just Hinduism. It's pantheism. By the way, no, you're not going to hell if you do yoga exercises, okay? But, uh, fine, do those exercises, but... Aren't, couldn't there be other exercises? And couldn't you do an exercise that's not directly connected to... I mean, that's just, that's just me, okay? That's just me. But again, doing this, whatever you're doing, I don't know what yoga people do, whatever. That, that, that's not simple. And, and by the way, the bottom line is these breathing exercises, those are actually pretty awesome. Yes and you know learning to slow down your mind Christian mindfulness is great but a lot of people take Christian mindfulness in ways that if you listen carefully you go "Eh, really? finding God inside of yourself going, going to your center and all that kind of stuff how about just going to God? how about going to Jesus? the Holy Spirit Okay, and again, I don't want to make people paranoid. And I don't want to go after this, and you know. But seriously, isn't there another exercise we can do besides yoga? I don't know. But then again, don't worry about it. It's okay. But actually, let's be cautious because the bottom line is, you are not God. And the goal of life is not to disappear and, and to be dissolved into the the uh, effervescence of the universe. Because we will be people. Amen. Yeah. We will be persons. God is person. We are person. Got it? Yeah. Besides, in 1 Timothy 2.5 it says there's one God and one meter between man and God and that is Jesus Christ. Alright, so this is a bogus God. Okay, then there's the Calvinist Jesus. Now we're kind of getting around to groups that probably are Christian. So my first four Jesuses were way out there wacko Jesuses. And now we're getting around to is that, you know, it kind of looks kind of Jesus-like. Right? So there's the Calvinist Jesus. This is the Jesus of Calvinist Christianity, otherwise known as Reformed theology. All right? Now when we think of the Protestant Reformation, we think of Martin Luther, So the the Protestant Reformation went in two branches, all right? One of them, Luther, kind of became this little tiny thing, and it's just, you know, and then the other one, Reformed theology, that's most of Protestantism. And this is Protestantism, and I'm telling you, this is very problematic. This is not the Jesus that I worship. This this is anathema to me. Now, most people who follow uh, Reformed theology Their Jesus, they don't swallow the whole thing hook, line, and sinker. What they do is, well, I'll explain what I'm talking about. A a lot of false ideas about Jesus come directly from this line of reasoning, Calvinism, which actually goes back to Augustine, but I don't want to go into all that. All right, actually, the the single reformer who who did more to determine how Christianity is practiced in, in sort of Protestant. America, across the world, is this guy Ulrich Zwingli. Probably, most of you have never even heard of this guy. He's the one who invented the idea that baptism is merely a symbol. Okay, that's that's fairly significant. Alright? So, anyway, the Calvinist Jesus is the Jesus of original sin. Alright? It, it's, the, it's the Jesus of Presbyterians. Let's get, I'm gonna, I'm gonna name names. Right.
1: Yep.
0: It's the Jesus of almost, but not all Baptists. There's, there's general Baptists and there's particular Baptists. 99% of Baptists in America are Calvinists. Most Baptists in England aren't, strangely enough. Whatever. This is the, uh, the, the Jesus of original sin. This is the Jesus who said in Adam's fall, we sinned all. This is Jonathan Edwards. This is the American flavor of Christianity. Right? Not all of it. Methodists went against that. They're, they're Arminian. Here's a quote from Zwingli. Zwingli said, those individuals end up damned forever in hell are also eternally determined by God for that fate." Hmm. Now, if you ask your average Presbyterian or Dutch Reform or uh, uh, Calvary Chapel or really actually most, even most Pentecostals and Charismatics, if they believe that, they'll say no. But actually, the the, the guy who preaches for their church signed a thing saying that he actually does, or she actually does.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All right? Um, or Calvin, has said, We call predestination God's eternal decree by which. Uh, he determined with himself what he willed to become of each man. For all are not created in equal condition. Rather, eternal life is foreordained for some and eternal damnation for others. Those who are predetermined for heaven, they call the elect. And those that are predetermined to go to hell are called the reprobate. Is the idea of the elect found in the Bible? Yes. yes, Ephesians, yes. Romans. Is the idea of the reprobate found in the Bible? No, because God does have predestination. Jesus is part of this predestination plan. Who did God predestine to go to heaven? Everybody. Yeah. I was teaching a class of predestination. This many years ago in San Diego. And they did it at a conference. I thought, really, a class on predestination at a conference actual doctrinal stuff? That's kind of strange. And they gave me the smallest room because they thought nobody would go to that class. They're just being nice to me.
1: And, and not only was the room
0: full, but there was standing room in the back, people in the hall, and they turned away like 50 people. Wow. And so I started by asking, how many here believe in predestination? And guess how many people raised their hand? Nobody, nobody. I was the only one. I was the only one said, come on, you read Romans 9, you don't believe in predestination? What did God predestine? That Jesus would die for our sins. Mm -hmm. And that's why he jerked Pharaoh around a little bit. That's why he kind of messed with Judas. But you know what? God didn't predestine Judas to go to hell. He didn't predestine anybody to go to hell. Mm -hmm. That's not the Jesus I believe in. That's crazy stuff. Now, most people who are Calvinists don't realize, number one, that they are. And they don't they don't even understand that that's what their preacher believes. But they do believe the other elements of calvinism. So let me get there. I don't want to spend too much time here. All right. Uh now Calvin himself writes, "We assert that by an eternal and immutable counsel, God has once for all determined both who would be admitted to salvation and who would be condemned to destruction." All right. So this is the Jesus who died for only a tiny minority cuz What did Jesus say about how many were going to destruction? Like, almost everybody. So that means almost everybody you meet, God created them with the awesomeness that they get to go to hell. That's that's not the the Jesus that I believe in. This is the Jesus who died for the elect, for the rest, too bad. This is the Jesus of T U L I P, Tulip. And given that this comes out of Holland, it's it's ironic that it's tulip because I don't think the Dutch call tulips tulips. This is the Jesus of total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, which means that Jesus died only for a few. The others are out of luck. The, The Jesus of irresistible grace. In other words, if God has called you, you're going to be saved whether you like it or not. And this is the Jesus of Perseverance of the Saints, the Tulip, which means once saved, always saved. Mm-hmm. So where did once saved, always... Now, almost everybody believes in once saved, always saved, right? Right? Where did that come from? It came from John Calvin mm-hmm. and Ulmus Wingley. Yep. Now, why did John Calvin believe in once saved, always saved? Because he believed <laughs> in predestination. Yeah? Uh, I have a question. <clears throat> Sorry,
1: I'm
0: trying to understand. So predestination,
1: so... But I was like, okay, so they believe that God already knows who's
0: going to heaven and who's going to earth. Well, God, but I believe that God knows everything. Isn't
1: that what they're saying?
0: No, they're saying that God foreordained. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm here, I gotta get in trouble here because I gotta. If I'm gonna talk about this, I have to talk about it. So let's go to yeah, Romans right. eight, where it says, "Those he foreknew, <coughs> he also predestined." And those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. And those he glorified. So, the Calvinist says, there's two classes of people. 90-something percent that God did not predestine, Therefore, he did not call, justify, or glorify. Then there's the three or four percent that God foreknew, predestined, justified, called, justified, and glorified. Okay, but the key word is foreknew. God knows who are his, right? Mm-hmm. right? Does <laughs> yeah. that mean he decided who's going to go to heaven and hell? Now, this will give you a headache. I'm sorry, it's yeah. going to give you a headache. But God foreknows, but he does not predetermine. Well, you say, how could he foreknow without predetermining? Because he's God. and uh, To me... I mean, for human beings, time is like a line. All right? So I'm, I'm right here. There's there's the past and the future. If I understand God correctly, it's just, oh, there it all is. So God knows who are His, but God predestined everyone for salvation. And i am got to read some scriptures that make that perfectly clear. Because, and the thing is, this, this whole... Faith alone. You know the faith alone thing? You guys preach baptism. That's work salvation. That is such a total messed up wrong idea. They, that, that is so wrong on so many levels. These, you know, this is Calvinism. It all, all comes back to Calvinism. Because if you inherit original sin, Ezekiel 18, that's bogus. And you are totally depraved. That's not in the Bible. Then what could you do to be saved? Nothing. The only way you could possibly be saved is God says, all right, that one, that one, that one. All right, so that, that's Calvinism, which says that we're saved by faith alone. All right? In other words, you know, our, we, have no, we have no part in it. If God didn't pick you, you wouldn't have picked him. All right? And, and so but then I, when I read in Deuteronomy 30, where it says, now choose life, yeah. right? I put before you death, life and death, blessings and curses, now choose life. The Calvinist says, oh, whatever. That's just, that's just a bunch of rhetoric. But that's what Baptists believe. That's what, presby- in fact, almost all evangelicals, not all, be careful, all right? Be careful how you predecide things like this. But that's what they believe. So that's why they teach that you just have to pray Jesus in your heart, right? That's interesting because let me see: is belief something that you do? Yes. 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 Is repentance something that you do? Yes. yes. Is baptism something that you do? Yes. You no. Know, oh. <laughs> <laughs> baptism is not something you do; it's something that's done to you, oh. right? <laughs> Do you, know, do you know, have you ever seen Jewish baptisms? No. Go to the Jordan River. They, they do it all the time. Here's how, Jew, here's how Jewish baptisms go.
1: <laughs>
0: really? Yeah, they baptize themselves. Who changed that? John the Baptist changed it. Why did he change it? Because God wanted baptism to be something that's done to you. Right? In wow. fact, even the very word, repent and be baptized, that's the reflexive, you know, verb or whatever. It's, it's not an act, something done to you. Tense. Thank you, the reflexive tense. Okay, now I'm getting into too much detail, that's not the point. <laughs> awesome. All
1: right?
0: So this is the Jesus of once saved, always saved. Right? Because if you can't choose to become a Christian, you can't choose to not be a Christian. This is the easy-peasy, you know, Christianity. This is the, the Christianity where repentance, it doesn't matter because repentance is something you do. And repentance is an option. They'll, they'll talk about it, but it's not related to salvation. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, they asked Jesus, what must we do to be saved? And he said, nothing. It's, it's you know, it's predetermined. Uh, <laughs> now he said, believe. Right. These are the works of salvation. It's to believe in him. All right, so um, this is the uh, Jesus of Protestant Christianity in general, not all, by the way, not all, and you have to be careful. And please be careful when you talk to people, ask questions, don't tell them. It's not fair. You don't want to be treated that way. Uh, But this is why they pray Jesus into their heart. Because, you know, you just, you sit there and pop, and suddenly you're there. You're good to go. It does you know, not, you know, prove your repentance by your deeds. It's, uh, it's uh, just let Jesus. And that's why uh, it, it's all real, it's experiential. And, you know, I, I had this warm feeling in my heart and, you know, all that sort of stuff. That all goes back to Calvinism and Jonathan Edwards. Read volume four in my church history that hasn't been published yet. But it's, it's coming out. All right, all right. All right. So let me read some passages because I have to get to uh, Jesus number six, seven, eight, and nine. So here we go. So John, First John two two. He is the atonement. Oh wait, let me get to the next screen. Okay, this is the Jesus of tulip. This is there. You go. I should have put that screen up there. I apologize. This is already at my website. The the notes, the PowerPoint, they're all at my website, and this recording will be at my website. This is the Jesus of total depravity, unconditional election, living atonement, irresistible grace, and once saved always saved. All right, Uh, this is the Jesus who chooses. You, whether you get saved or not, you have no part in it. It's the Jesus of once saved, it's always saved. It's the Jesus of praise, Jesus of your own. Okay? Now, this is not in the Bible. Because what's it say in 1 John 2, verse 2? He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the elect. No. The whole world. And who's contained in the whole world? Everybody. In fact, what does John talk about the world? I mean, even the world—the world and this, you know, all those bad things and bad. You know, Jesus died for everybody. You know, the L and Tulip Limited Atonement—that's nonsense. In fact, that makes me angry. Mm-hmm. I, I hate that Jesus. Mm-hmm. I don't like that Jesus at all. Mm-hmm. That's a Jesus who really uh, doesn't love most people, actually. First Timothy two verse three through four. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants a few people to be saved, but most to go to hell. No, no. <laughs> who wants all people to be saved? Now, is God's will always done? No. Jesus said, "Your will be done." And this is this is the Jesus of basically God being sovereign, whether, rather than God being all so much loving. Uh, Luke two ten, good news of great joy that would be for a few people. No, no for all people. Right. Second Corinthians five fourteen. For we are convinced that one died for a few. No? One died for all. As John 12, 32, but when I'm lifted up, I will draw a few men unto myself, specifically the, the elect, but the reprobate can go home. No, I will draw all men unto myself. Does that mean everybody's going to become a Christian? No. No, but all are predestined to salvation. Everybody. Now, those God foreknew, he predestined, called justified, and glorified. Now, is everybody called? Not everybody's called. Of those who are called, are they all justified? No. Of those who are justified are all glorified. Well, read Hebrews. No. Okay, but those God foreknew, he predestined called justified and glorified. There you go. So that's, all right, now we're on Jesus number six. The black Jesus. Now, there are people who insist that Jesus is black. That Jesus is African. Now, honestly, I want to be careful here. And the reason I want to be careful is... Um, white people have used Jesus to mess up black people and there's a long history of that Uh, racial injustice and the disgustingness of the Bible being used as an excuse for the whole children of Ham, that is is despicable but Jesus is not black he's also not white thank you I, I'm so glad he's kind of halfway in between. Aren't you yeah. glad he's kind of halfway in between? Yeah. Good job. Thank you. God was smart with that, you know. <laughs> but really, this is the Jesus who gets involved in racial politics. Yeah. Mm. Talk about, well, it talk about, talk about, about it. that one. Yeah. Because you know there the, there was the white Jesus. There's honestly there's not a whole lot of white Jesus people left. There are a few. Are a few, and that's just as despicable as it ever was. But why should we go for the black Jesus just because they were using the white Jesus on us? Yeah, I don't right. think that's because this is the Jesus who gets caught up in racial politics. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Come, on. Yeah. come on! All right, this is the Jesus of division. Yes,
1: yeah. 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 come
0: on! This is the Jesus who divides rather than uniting. Does Jesus ever divide? No. No. Oh, yes, he does. Oh. Oh. He divides yes. the righteous from the wicked. Yes. Jesus, I came to bring a sword. Divide father from mother, but not to provide black from white. Right. Or Armenian from Turkish. Alright? Does the color of Jesus' skin matter? No. That's ridiculous. This is the Jesus of Republicanism. This is the Jesus of Democraticism. This is the Capitalist Jesus. This is the Communist Jesus. This is the Oakland Raider Jesus. San Diego Charger Jesus I got this question on my website <laughs> just, <laughs> last <laughs> week. just last week wow. okay. All right. I thank you for highlighting that Jesus was a real person <laughs> and his story could be backed up by multiple counts oh thank you so much <laughs> I'm a believer but my question to you is why do you admit the facts on oh. Jesus' black skin color or his African Hebrew heritage. It is convenient for one to say it, that Jesus' color is, his, is, is true African heritage, does not matter, but it does. If the majority of people knew that the blonde haired, blue eyed, Caucasian skin depiction of Jesus was simply fabrication oh, man. and a counterfeit, would they still worship him? Right? It is a basic truth that Jesus was black. Please conduct your own research and answer the question. You dummy. Why does the church continue to depict Jesus as being a Caucasian? Now, does the church continually depict Jesus as being a Caucasian? A hundred years ago, absolutely. And busted, and we need to just keep apologizing and even if it's barely happening anymore, we white people, we just need to keep apologizing. I'm, I'm serious. We just need to keep apologizing and apologizing and apologizing and not making excuses and not saying, oh, I didn't do that, they did that. It's those white nationalists. No, it's all white people, honestly. Some less than others, but you know. But Jesus is not black, and he's not white. He's, he's not Asian. All right, I'm not going to go there. All right, so the bottom line is Jesus was Jewish. If you want to know what he looked like, I mean, it says in Isaiah he had nothing in particular to know, so just take the average Palestinian person, just kind of take the average, that's Jesus. That's good, okay? Let's go on. The bottom line is this, Jesus is not the Jesus who divides on human concerns. He only divides based on righteousness, in unrighteousness, yeah. Free. And that's it. All right, next is the liberal Jesus. Oh. By the way, that clock does not work. That's why it's been confusing. Come on, So I need to get through this sort of quickly. The <laughs> liberal <laughs> Jesus. Now, if you go to the bookstore and buy books about Jesus, this is the Jesus in the bookstores. This is the Jesus at the university. This is the Jesus at UCLA. This is the Jesus at USC. This is the Jesus at all, virtually all universities. This is the Jesus who's, you know, he's a social campaigner. He's a, he's a, he's a political revolutionary. He's the champion of social justice. Was Jesus a champion of social justice? Absolutely. Was he a bit more than that? Yeah, he was God. Yeah, he was a bit more than that. (laughs) This is the Jesus of scholars who denied the inspiration of the Bible. Mm -hmm. All right? This is the the progressive Jesus. He's definitely decidedly left-wing, by the way. Mm -hmm. This is the Jesus of the Jesus Seminar. If you know much about the Jesus Seminar, believe that Jesus of Scripture was a creation of Christians in the second century. Uh, which is nonsense, uh, I did a lesson, go to my website just a couple days ago on that. Uh, oh, Jan, thank you for reminding me, uh, the liberal, actually, no, that's, that's the only one I have on that. Uh, this is the Jesus who never claimed to be God, who never worked miracles, and who did not even intend to start a religious movement, but he was a really nice guy, and he really cared about the, the poor and the needy and all that sort of stuff. But this is not the Jesus that I believe in, because I believe in the Jesus who is God in the flesh. The Jesus who is Lord. The Jesus who is the one and only. So uh, this is the Jesus whose tomb is empty. This is the Jesus who did fulfill those prophecies. All right, next is the universalist Jesus. Now we're finally getting to the Jesus' That I think are in our church. Mm-hmm. They pervade Christianity of almost all flavors in America and around the world, but I, I believe they're definitely creeping into our church. Mm-hmm. So the first seven Jesus is, I'm not super, super concerned with. I might get mad about them, but if they're out there, I, it doesn't you know, I don't get so concerned. So this is the Jesus. The non judgmental Jesus. This is the postmodern Jesus. I have nothing against postmodernism. I believe, as a philosophy, modernism is more harmful than postmodernism. As a philosophy. But as a way of thinking about Jesus, it's really messed up. This is the Jesus who denies the existence of hell. Is that a thing moving through Christianity right now? Yeah, Rob Bell. Bell rhymes with hell. I don't know, I just made that up. But uh, I don't know. This is the Jesus of funerals. This, therefore, this is the Jesus of almost everybody. Could it be the Jesus of us? I had to preach the funeral for a non-Christian young lady who was a drug addict. And she was shot in the head by her drug addict boyfriend. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what am I supposed to say? I'm so glad she's going to be with Jesus today. And and we'll see here. I I couldn't say that. Mm -hmm. I couldn't say that at all. Uh, This is the Jesus of most Americans. Mm -hmm. That Jesus is love, 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 love. Mm -hmm. Now, I criticize Calvinism. Because Calvinism, because God is holy, he's righteous, he's just, he's love, he's omniscient, he's got all these qualities and properties. And we got a, a tape back there on a Christian theology. Robert and I taught it together. And Calvinists focus in on Jesus and God's sovereignty to the exclusion of other traits. But which of God's traits are, is focused in on by Christianity today, by far, Totally outweighing all the others. Love. Now, by the way, God is infinitely loving. God cannot perform an act that is not out of love. He is incapable of doing an unloving thing. But God gets angry. God has wrath. God is a judge. You know, uh, I, I just finished doing a sermon series on Ezekiel. Now, if you don't want to talk about judgment, just stay away from Ezekiel. I mean... It's pretty tough stuff. I have never, ever heard a sermon series from Ezekiel. I've never even heard of it being done. There's a reason for that. Because American Christianity, as Asian and African and South American Christianity, God is lovey-dovey. You know, Jesus is loving. He's patient. He's gentle. He's kind. But he's not nice. All right? You know, he's not Pollyanna. If you know who Pollyanna is, that's the that. even Robert's not old enough to know who Pollyanna is. What's up. What's up. The movie, you know, the Pollyanna. I, I was trying to find somebody who probably would be old enough to know it's Pollyanna. Right it's a Disney movie. Never mind. I gotta use examples that are not seventy year, or sixty <laughs> years old, right? Here. Thank you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and
0: this is the Jesus of the Unitarians. And by the way, Jesus said, wide is the road that leads to destruction and many are on it. That's just what he said. Yeah. Am I happy about you, that? No, I'm sad about that. Yeah, you know God. who's more sad about that than I am? God, God is more sad yeah. about that than I am. Yeah. But God gives us a choice. And most people say, you can keep your stupid salvation and your blood. I'm just going to go off and do my thing. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Jesus said, if anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person, for I did not come to judge the world. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Did he or didn't he? Well, okay. Now, here's the thing. Jesus did not come to judge the world. He came to save the world. But does that mean he's not going to judge the world? That doesn't mean that. It means he didn't come here to judge the world. He came here to save the world. But do you think Jesus has nothing to do with judgment? Well, you don't understand God. All right? Now Jesus is going to judge. It's in the scriptures. So, you know, we read that passage in, in, in was it John 14 or John 12, John 12, 48. Uh, we could misinterpret that. It's true. Jesus came full of grace and truth. Did he come full of grace, truth, and judgment? No, he came full of grace and truth. Does that mean there's going to be no judgment? Excuse me. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God and Jesus is that living God that it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of because if you trample on his blood he's not going to say oh that's okay it's it's, it's fine you know we all love each other we're lovey-dovey around here. Hmm. It's true Jesus didn't come to the earth to judge but he's going to come back and when he does come back he will be judging. Okay that's the deal. Now Jesus was gentle riding on a colt to fall of a donkey, that's true.
1: And a bruised
0: raid he did not break or bend, or whatever it says in Isaiah. But in 2 Timothy 4 1, it says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. Who's going to judge the living and the dead? Christ Jesus will judge. And the view of his appearance that's coming, you better preach the word. Yes. And by the way, you better preach judgment. You better preach hell. There you
1: go.
0: Now, I'll, t- I'll say this. In the Bible, every time hell is preached, heaven is preached. Amen. It's not true that every time heaven is preached, hell is preached. So, if if we're going for 80/20 on heaven and hell, that's good. That's awesome. That's great. But 100 and 0 in heaven and hell? That's not Bible. It's just not. And I'm telling you, I hear a lot of people that you know, they just want to take the whole judgment out. God doesn't get angry. What do you mean he doesn't get angry? Tell me he doesn't get angry. I mean, come on, Not just Ezekiel. I mean, all over you know, what about Amos? Amos 5:24 which says, "Let justice roll on like a river." How about Revelation 6:10? Look at this, Revelation 6:10. This is in the Bible. I didn't come here to preach judgment, but I want to have the real Jesus. And that includes wrath. Mm, It includes justice. It includes holiness. That's there in the Bible. It's in the Bible I read. Uh, Revelation 6.10, it says, uh, they called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Now, honestly, that is not my heart and feeling at all. I, I have no... Desire for God to come and judge and take these people out of hell. That's not my feeling, even the tiniest bit. But I believe when we're with God in heaven, we're going to say, "Amen, praise the Lord." You going to send my grandmother to hell? It's right. All right. Now, uh, whether or not this judgment is some sort of eternal, forever, you know, infinite amount of time thing, I don't know about that. But there certainly will be judgment. God will come again and it will, be a, it will be a savior and judge, both. He's going to be riding on a white horse, not literally, all right? This is the Jesus of the parable of the banquet, right? The parable of the banquet. Guys in there, he's good to go. I'm, I'm awesome, man. I prayed Jesus into my heart and, you know, I, I, uh, yeah, I did the sinner's prayer and all that sort of stuff. And the, the banquet owner comes in. He says, send that guy out. He's got on the wrong clothes. What are these, what are these clothes? How about Galatians 3, 24, 25, 26? Those who are baptized into Christ are clothed with Christ. So I'd say, we need to get clothed with Christ. Because so otherwise, when God comes in this banquet... We may be sent out where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yes, there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the Jesus of Ezekiel 9 through 11. Read it. Where basically because of idolatry in the temple, Jesus left the temple. And I'm telling you, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And if there's idolatry in this temple, if there's willful, continual sin, uh, Hebrews ten twenty six, then read the book. Okay, good. Now, number nine. We're almost done. I'm going too long here. Sorry about that. I had to one o'clock. Next is the prosperity gospel. And I'm sorry, I'm calling him out. Joel Osteen is a false prophet. Him and thousands of others just like him. He just happens to be really good looking and wear really nice hair gel. Right?
1: That
0: smile. That smile makes me sick. <laughs> it does. That smile makes me sick. Oh, it gets me mad because <laughs> the gospel he preaches, the Jesus he preaches, is not the one that I read about in the Bible. <laughs> but I'm telling you, prosperity gospel. I'm sorry, it's arrived and it's here in the LAICOC. Wow. Okay, that period is
1: elaborate.
0: Now, not. Nowhere near like Joel Osteen. I, I, you know, come on, not even close. That's true. I mean, that stuff, you, you'll hear that stuff, and it'll, it'll drive you crazy. Yes. All right, so, don't get me wrong. I, I, I don't want to overstate myself. In fact, I just did overstate myself, probably, backtracking a little bit, but I'm serious. Prosperity gospel is definitely affecting us. I'm, you know? People said to me, why did you move to Bakersfield? You know? Uh, certainly not for prosperity. <laughs> Come on,
1: John. But
0: how many of us would live where the poor people live on purpose so we could save the poor people? How many of us would do that? Amen. Come on. Come on, John. Come on. I was in, uh, in Oslo in, in, uh, in September just talking with the president, and he said, you know, we haven't been converting people over here. And I said, what's... You don't live over there. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Everybody, they wanted, they had the, the, it's not the American dream, I guess it's the Norwegian dream. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to have the big house and the good schools and the clean streets. And meanwhile, people are going to hell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Alright, so the yeah, prosperity God. gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, tell the, us. the cosmic oh, butler who says, yes sir, that's what you want. This is the prayer of Jabez, Jesus. You know that prayer of Jabez? By the way, it's in the Bible. It's a great prayer. But it's sure taken out of context. Okay, you know, there, there are different bellwethers. There's different things in the Bible that says, if you have this issue down corrected in your life, then you're good for everything. And those are James chapter three, your tongue. If you had full control, if you were perfect with your tongue, you'd be perfect with everything guess what the other thing is if you were perfect on you'd be perfect in everything it's 1st Timothy chapter 6 money mm-hmm. because money the love of money is the root of every kind of evil mm-hmm. prosperity gospel I believe it affects us I believe it does this is the Jesus of Christianity emerging if you go to Africa I mean I was in the city of Port Harcourt and I'm telling you it's, it's that's all you can hear there I mean, that is all you can hear there. And this minister came to the to the lesson. He said, I'm so thankful you're here. There's somebody preaching anything other than the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is, you know, come to Jesus, you'll have wealth, you'll have jobs, you'll have health. And that's, that's what it's all about. Wow. And again, we, we look at Joel Osteen and we go, man, that's ridiculous. But I don't know. I, I think the prosperity gospel is kind of of affecting us in some significant ways. This is the Jesus of the Jews in Malachi. <clears throat> the Jews were saying to God, you don't love us anymore. And he said, when did I stop loving you? He said, Jacob, I love Esau, I hated." He said, because you're not blessing us the way we want to be blessed. No. He said, how about if you breathe in, breathe in the full time? You know, how about if you do that? How about if you, I mean, you give, you wouldn't give... <clears throat> You know, you're second best to the governor, but you're giving the second best to me and you want me to bless you? It doesn't work that way. This is, you know, Haggai chapter one. You, you get, you're drinking water, you're always thirsty, you're putting money in your pockets and it's gone. Why? He says, go up into the hills and bring down wood and build my temple. That's right. This is prosperity gospel. This is Christianity uh, everywhere. In Africa, I'm telling you, it's virtually the only thing they have. But it's certainly big in America. Mm. Philippians 3.10. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of the resurrection. And participating in his sufferings. Mm. Becoming like him in his prosperity. (laughs) (laughs) Becoming like him in his American dream of having a house with a nice reconditioned kitchen. With a 401k, that's good to go. No? The power of his resurrection, and there's power. There's lots of power, and there's blessings. There's I mean, we get a hundredfold, folks. It's just that if you want that hundredfold to be a bunch of money, you're kind of going in the wrong direction. Yeah. How about the blessing of helping somebody go to heaven? Yeah. How about the blessing of changing people's hearts? Come on. Of uh, Philippians one twenty one, Bruce, that was on his raft. <laughs> <laughs> for me to live is Christ to die is game. But when, when Paul said that, he was not kidding. This was not just rhetoric. Right. When he said for me to live is Christ to die is game, he's just explaining himself. Now we could say that, but I think a lot of us are so caught up in prosperity. I'm not sure if we can really say it. Mm. And in First Timothy 6, Paul said, if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Mm. I'm telling you, I am not there. I'm, so, I'm not up here as this perfect person in this area. Mm. I cannot say, if I had food and clothing, I'd be content with that. Mm. If I had food and clothing and cable and a car, and, <laughs> you know. So, so, last bad Jesus... And then we'll have the good Jesus. The prayer of Jabez, you can get into that, but anyway. Yeah. Prosperity, Jesus. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. But you have to wait for seven years of suffering before you get that. Read the passage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Read the passage. Yeah. All right, magical Jesus. This is the Jesus who does miracles all the time, just because you ask. Wow. This is the Jesus who... You know, um, you know, he opens doors and he closes doors and all this sort of stuff. All right, this is the Jesus, this is the charismatic Jesus. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to be careful here because there's the whole pendulum swing. Here is the magical Jesus who, he, you know, Jesus told me this and God told me I should do that and I just knew this and God told me this and, and you know, all this sort of stuff. And then there's the mainline church of Christ and really us. Which is, we don't acknowledge that Jesus does anything. It you know? doesn't say it in the scripture it's not true. Because the fact is, God does speak to us. Right. That God does prompt us. And we should keep in step with the Spirit. Yeah. And we should listen to the Spirit. We should not quench the Spirit. And we should understand that we have meetings. The Spirit is trying to bring us to a consensus. Just read the book of Acts. And so, now, so our tendency has not been to go in this direction. In fact, our tendency is to try to go too far the other way. So I want to be careful because some people are going to not believe that, for example, that Jesus heals because Jesus heals. He just doesn't give you the gift of healing. Wow. All right? It doesn't work that way. In fact, I believe the Holy Spirit even guides us into all truth. But he didn't make you an inspired teacher. He didn't make you a prophet. So this is the Jesus who has a single particular person in mind for you to marry. He's got that person. I just have to find that person. There's just that person out there. I just have to find that person. Uh, this is the Jesus who heals all sickness. This is the God who's always opening doors and closing doors. Uh, the problem is, that's, it doesn't work that way. Because Paul asked God to um, you know, take away that thorn, and God said no. No. This is the Jesus who always says yes. This is the Jesus, if we pray, the person will be healed. But the Bible says, if it's God's will. Okay? True. So, by the way, all of us will get sick, and all of us will die. So, sickness is not the problem. All right? It, what's the problem is sin. All right. Anyway, this is not a big problem for us. By the way, last Jesus, and then we'll be done. I'm going to do this in about two minutes because the next lesson is about this Jesus, which is the actual one. Amen. This is the Jesus who's the crucified and risen Savior of mankind. That's the real Jesus. Yes. The crucified and risen Savior of mankind. Mark 10.45, the Son of God did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those, who, those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is the Jesus of 1 John 4.10. This is love. Not that he loved us, that, that we loved him rather, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is the actual Jesus. The Jesus who is God. The Jesus who is love. The Jesus who came to save us. But not the butler Jesus. Not the yes sir if you say so Jesus. Not the nice Jesus. This is the Jesus who died for us. And expects us to appreciate that. And take it seriously. Mm-hmm. Anyway we're going to take a break. Uh, Robert wants us to do a Q&A after this session. Uh, let's do our Q&A at the beginning of the next session. Because there's some people who need a potty break by now, I'm guessing. <laughs> i went mean, an hour and a half. Sorry I talk so long. No. Oh we'll take woo, about a
1: 10-minute break. Don, five? What's that? Uh, five, please.
0: Okay, five-minute break. Is that okay? No. Yeah. All right, as long
1: as they're not line in the bathroom. <laughs> um.